0: We'll continue our trek through Second Samuel this morning in chapter 4. So turn with me to the God's word, Second Samuel chapter 4. When ish Saul's son, heard that Abner had died at Hebron, his courage failed and all Israel was dismayed. Now Saul's son had two men who were captains of raiding bands. The name of one was Bena and the name of the other was Rechab, sons of Ramon a man of Benjamin from Berath, for Berath also is counted part of Benjamin. And the Berathites fled to get him and have been sojourners there to this day. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. As she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Now the sons of Rimon, the Berathite, Rechab and Bana, Set out, and about the heat of the day they came to the house of Ishbosheth, as he was taking his noonday rest. And they came into the midst of the house, as if to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and Bena, his brother, escaped. When they came into the house, as he lay on his bed in his bedroom, they struck him and put his him to death and beheaded him. They took his head and went by the way of Arba all night and brought his head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron. And they said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. The Lord has avenged my lord and the king, the king this day on Saul and his offspring. But David answered Rechab and Bena, his brother, the sons of Rimmon the Berethite, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity, when one told me, Behold, Saul is dead, and thought he was bringing me good news, I seized him and killed him at Ziklag, which was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more, when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house on his bed, shall I not now require his blood at your hand and destroy you from the earth? And David commanded his young man, and they killed them and cut off their hands and feet and hanged them beside the pool of Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner at Hebron. So of God's word if you have little ones ages three year olds to kindergarten, you are certainly welcome to bring them to Little Landing.
1: It's a privilege to minister the Word of God to you, and it's a privilege to be a part of a team who minister the Word of God. I'm so thankful for Jeff Blevins and his ministry of Ephesians 1 uh, at this pulpit this last Lord's Day, and I'm thankful to you at the, as the body who enabled me to go spend a weekend with a dear friend of mine from Michigan, one whom we serve together at a church there, one who strengthens and stirs my heart in God. What a joyful weekend I had. I'm also thankful for the opportunity to go away this coming week for three days with Pastor Andrew. We're heading down to San Antonio, Texas, (laughs) suffering for the Lord down there. We're going to the Evangelical Theological Society gathering, and we're going to listen to the Word of God taught to us by many of the gifted scholars God has assembled in the country today. Pray for us as we travel, as we listen and study, and as we return. Let's pray now and ask God's help to unfold this most important chapter in Holy Scripture. Father, I thank you for the grass withering and the flower fading, but the Word of our God standing forever. Thank you for the power and the living nature of the Word of God, authoritative, and errant, and full of your glory. Oh, give us eyes to see the mercy, the wonder, the beauty, the gospel of your glory right here in 2 Samuel chapter 4. You will instruct us. You will teach us how to receive mercy in such a way that we don't pervert it and twist it to our sinful ends but humble ourselves under it, even repent of sin because of it. Thank you so much for David's example here as he points us forward to Jesus Christ, his descendant, and our Savior and Lord, we thank you for the inerrancy of this Word now, so we'll dwell with care on this living Word, and we will glean, as you help us, every great spiritual morsel from it. Feed us well, Lord, on Second Samuel 4. Thank you for the singing. Thank you for the praying. Thank you for the, the declaring great truths in doctrinal declaration that unites us together and empowers us and enables us to be a united faith family, and and sends us from here to go with boldness into the world around us. Oh, the degradation and chaos of the world around us. Would you give us lightning bolt clarity in a foggy, dark night of sin that encroaches? Do it because your Word is powerful, your Spirit is near and present. Your glory is worth it. Your Son is precious beyond words, and we love You. We love You, Lord, and we want to hear from You just now. In this keen and powerful, even even, dare I say, brutal passage, show us what's here for us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. In World War I, there was a hero, his name was Henry, Henry Tandy, he was a British private, and he was always doing heroic things. He'd grown up in an orphanage. He was introduced to the Anglican faith. He saw himself as a member of the Anglican church, and he thought it was part of his life and virtue to be courageous and strong. Henry loved to do the right thing, and he loved to serve. He was always a servant as a young person, according to his biography. He became a military soldier and fought in World War I valiantly. He would be the one carrying his buddies on his shoulder out of the battle to safety, even when he himself was wounded. That happened more than once. Once he was under fire to try to take over a German city, and his entire uh, unit of men laid low to protect themselves from German machine gun fire, and they couldn't cross a river because the bridge was out. So he crawled single Uh, alone, all by himself, single-handedly crawled up under the fire of the German machine guns, and he put planks together to rebuild a bridge so his unit could cross and put an end to those machine guns. On September 18th of 1918, the war had raged on, and on that day, Henry was shot twice, and he was trying to make his way back to medical aid. In his slow walking back to medical aid, he came across a dazed and confused German soldier, unarmed himself. Tandy raised his rifle, and then he looked in the face of the 19 year old German, and he saw the man was scared, probably experiencing shell shock, had no weapon. And Tandy lowered his rifle and he nodded with his head for the German to return back to the German lines. Both men, on several occasions, recount the incident of mercy. To be true and accurate, Henry Tandy let Adolf Hitler go. What do we do with the mercy shown to us? What do we do with the mercy shown to us? Do we perceive that the mercies God shows us, the ones I'm, I'm bathed in right now, and the ones you are, do we perceive them as approval for the path of life we've chosen, and we continue on our way? I must be right, and God must be for me if He's been so very kind to me. Or do we perceive the mercies God shows to us as a call to repentance? Romans 2:4. Do you not know? Have you not heard? It is the kindness and patience of the Lord meant to lead us to repentance. What do we do with the mercy shown to us? Deep inside of you is either a clear mind that says, "I don't deserve these mercies. They are stunningly gracious, stunningly undeserved, stunningly kind of God, and therefore He intends to move in, in me a, a new and transformed heart that by His holy Spirit partakes of His mercy as my salvation, my rescue, my redeeming. And He would send me on a new path, O oh Lord, show me the new path. I turn from the one that's grieved you, or a hardened heart that says, Of course, even God by His providence is with me in this great undertaking that I'm in. And even though I've got people against me and I've got my own doubts, yet God has put His stamp of approval on what I'm doing. I'll do it all the harder and all the stronger. The outcome be damned. What do we do with the mercies? God has given to us. You'll see in this passage that Kevin just read, there are mercies lavished both upon these two men from Benjamin, the Israelite tribe of Benjamin, and upon David, but they do very different things with the mercy God shows them. I want to walk through the mercy first shown to these two men, and then I want to walk through the mercy shown to David and show you how two individuals, both Israelites, but they deal with the mercy of God so very differently. It helps us understand how we can read the Old Testament with the eyes of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul specifically when he said, not all Israel is Israel. You'll look here and you'll see Israelites acting in very un-Israelite ways. Here's my main point as I understand 2 2 Samuel 4. Those redeemed of God recoil at revenge and enact merciful justice in His name. That's my main point, the main sentence that guides my sermon. Those redeemed of God recoil at revenge and enact merciful justice in His name. Oh, how I wish world leaders would hear that sentence and take it to heart. Oh, how I wish every marriage were defined by that sentence. Oh, how I wish every ministry and friendship. Oh, how I wish every uh, interrelationship between churches in a city. Oh, how I wish every relationship between missionaries out on the field, every politician, Every business leader and instructor and teacher loved the sentence, those redeemed of God recoil at revenge and enact merciful justice in his name. Here's the setting The house of Saul is defeated. That's the point, isn't it? The house of Saul is defeated because you can see that Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, the only one remaining, is weak and a pitiful king, and he's in power but he's taking a nap in the middle of the day. His brother, Jonathan, beloved of David, has a son, a son who was five years old when Saul, his grandfather, and Jonathan, his father, were killed by the Philistines. And now it is seven years later, according to the counting of 2 Samuel. And so a 12-year-old who is very lame and crippled in a leg is what's left of the house of Saul. The whole point is Saul's house is reduced to nothing. Two men, sons of a Benjamite, Rechab and Bena, set out about the heat of the day, according to verse 5, and they come to the house of Ishbosheth, the king, as he was taking his noonday rest. They see mercy, surely. He's asleep. And it's our intention to kill the king who fought against Judah and our king David. They want to kill him, though they be of the tribe of Israel. Clearly, they seem to be aligning with David, and they think it's somehow appropriate to kill Ishbosheth, son of Saul. Verse 6 They came into the midst of the house as if to get wheat. How clever they sneak in. And they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rachab and Bana, his brother, escaped. What mercy! When they came into the house as he lay on his bed in his bedroom, they struck him, put him to death, and beheaded him. They took his head and went by the way of the Arabah all night. Two assumptions that they make, and they're mistaken in both. First, they assume David is a violent man and that he would appreciate what they're going to do. Their killing of Ishbosheth is going to be approved of by David. In fact, they're going to do exactly to Ishbosheth what David did formerly to Goliath. Look, we're going to bring you his head. Just like you took the head of Goliath and set it up in Jerusalem, we're bringing the head of the king of your enemy, Israel, to you as a prize, proving that we have killed Ishbosheth, the king of Israel. They misunderstand David. David is not bringing God's kingdom by violence, he's bringing God's kingdom by truth and by mercy. I wonder if the body of Christ in the United States or in the West or even in the world in 2023 realizes the kingdom of God advances not by violence but by truth. The kingdom of God advances not because we build bigger armies and we force people at the end of a spear or at the tip of a sword or at gunpoint to somehow confess and believe in and delight in Christ. No one delights in Christ at gunpoint. No heart is transformed by a physical sword, but by the sword of the Spirit. The kingdom advances by truth, not by violence. Jesus said to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king, Jesus said. I am, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. When Paul was dragged before the Jewish people in Acts 21, they beat him, and a Roman cohort had to come along and rescue him, and they brought him before the tribune. And instead of asking for them to charge his assailants or punish them. He asked for an opportunity to speak the truth, and in Acts 22, Paul proclaims the truth. He feared God, and even when he was struck physically by by one of the high priests as he's being examined before the high priest, he said, God strike you back. In other words, he commended justice into the hands of God. Paul feared the Lord. And so Paul writes with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for us to hear and to receive and to act out in our lives, Romans 14, rather, Romans 12, 14 through 21. Listen to these words. See if they don't apply to David's character and to your life. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. David's going to do something with the lowly Mephibosheth in the coming chapters that fulfills this beautifully. Never be wise in your own sight, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Surely you and I have people that come to mind when we read those words of Scripture. There are people that it is a challenge for me to be peaceable with, but I must seek as God helps me to live peaceably with all. "'Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, "'Vengeance is mine, I will repay,' says the Lord there.'" Paul is quoting Deuteronomy 32. "'To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The redeemed of God always recoil from revenge.'" What relationship in your life right now is very difficult for you to recoil from revenge? You can always tell when a person is confused and doesn't know God and doesn't want to follow God or is wrestling with guilt or rebellion or sin in their lives, it's very easy to take offense and it's very easy to want to respond to offense with offense. But the redeemed of God recoil at revenge. Though the kingdom advances by truth and mercy and not by violence, the Bible does not in any way teach pacifism. If innocents are in danger, courageous and righteous men will stand in the gap to protect them. If disorder and chaos and violence and murder is afoot, godly, law-abiding men and women will intercede to arrest and bring, just, bring those to justice who are responsible. Capital punishment is most certainly a biblical warrant for just societies because God said to Moses, and for your lifeblood, I will require to a reckoning from every beast. I will require it from man, from his fellow man. I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. God spoke that originally to Noah and God gave it to Moses and it was recorded in Genesis 9. These two men from the tribe of Benjamin who take Ishbosheth's life have been under the mercy of God, abundant mercy. And if you pause and think about it, they have been under outstanding mercy. They're part of the Israelite people. They've been saved out of Egypt. They've been given uh, land and they've been given the blessings, the covenants, the presence of God, the prophets, the scriptures. And even in this act, they, they perceive the opportunity to go into Ishbosheth while he's sleeping and easily take his life. And yet that's not their worst misunderstanding. Look at verse eight. This is their second misunderstanding. First, they thought the kingdom comes by violence. Second, they think God is blessing them. And they said to the king, "Here, you can just see him. I mean it, it, funny things come to my mind, you know, like this is Daryl and his other brother Daryl. I mean, these guys are just so foolish. They're holding up the head of Ishbosheth, and they think David's going to approve it. Here's the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. You know, the guy who kept pursuing you and pursuing you and pursuing you? Well, this is his son, so we thought we'd do you a huge favor. You can put this up in your study or in your den but then they get worse. The Lord, Yahweh, all caps, the covenant Lord, has avenged my Lord the King this day on Saul and on his offspring. The only thing worse than a murderer is a murderer who thinks he's doing what pleases God. Like Paul, before his conversion, approving of killing of Christians as an offering of obedience to God. It's what so many misunderstand when they look at the world scene today. If you don't understand that the wars of the world are carried out by those who believe that they are pleasing God, you don't understand the wars. Here in this passage, we're to read this and we're to be horrified at what's happening. We're to be horrified at the way these these men are twisting the name of Yahweh and the blessing of the Lord. They're twisting it to make it look like their act of murder was somehow pleasing God. They are taking revenge into their own hands, and they're committing an act of murder. The Spirit of God does not approve of rank acts of murder no matter what ethnicity commits them. No ethnicity is above the law of God. Proverbs 20, 22, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and He will deliver you. Deuteronomy 32, 35, Vengeance is mine, and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate His people. He will have compassion on His servants when He says that their power is gone, and there is none remaining, bond or free. If you're redeemed in the Lord, There wells up within you by the Spirit of the living God a recoiling at revenge and a desire to enact mercy and justice in His name. Let's look at David. By contrast, stunningly similar on the surface, but oh, look deep with me into this passage and let's see the contrast. Let's see how those who truly love the name of the Lord will carry out justice Verse 9-12, through But David answered Rechab and Bana his brother, the sons of Remon, the Behorite, the Beorothite. As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity, when one told me, Behold, Saul is dead, and thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and killed him at Ziklag, which was the reward I gave him for his news. That was fulfilling the law. Verse 11, how much more when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house on his bed? You know, men of Benjamin, you're holding the head of Ishbosheth in front of me, but Ishbosheth never chased me. He never pursued me. He never did anything wrong. He was a righteous man. That's what David says. How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house on his bed shall I not now require his blood at your hand and destroy you from the earth? And David commanded his young men, and they killed him and cut off their hands and feet and hanged them beside the pool at Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner at Hebron. Notice two things that David does. He takes an oath. Did you see that? As the Lord lives... He submits himself under the oath of God. He says, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity. He's taking an oath because, number one, he's saying, I am about to enact justice, and I'm doing it under the instruction of the name of the Lord. I'm doing it directly because he commanded it. And he's referring, of course, to Exodus 21:12: whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. Or Numbers 35, moreover you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall be put to death. This is what the law says. David's carrying out the law with the backing and authority and blessing of God because murderers stand in front of him One of the passages that upholds those like me who believe in capital punishment. He brings in the law of Moses. That's what he's doing with this oath. This oath is a way of saying, God has spoken to this situation already, and I must be the kind of leader who does not carry out revenge according to my own flesh, but lives according to the will and word and law of God. Nations and churches and communities and ministries who have leaders who fear God and carry out His law are blessed and happy nations and blessed and happy ministries, blessed and happy families. Anytime a family struggles, Dad, listen carefully, when your family is struggling with chaos and dishonor, the place to begin is to say, where am I not carrying out honor toward the will and word of God. How many times I've counseled individuals, men especially, who are struggling with not being able to lead their wives and children well and to bring unity under their leadership, and my first question is, to whom are you submitted to, and how does that submission reveal itself? David here is submitting to the law and the will of God. He is first and foremost taking an oath before these men to say, what I am about to do, I do because I fear the living God and I obey His word. Second, look what he's doing. He gives personal testimony. As the Lord lives, the living Lord, the one who never dies... The one who has no enemies, the one who has no competitors, the one who can't be stopped, the one in all sovereign glory and power, him, he's redeemed my life out of every adversity. That's my story. That's how David ends his life. In 1 Kings, they're asking him, Who should be king after you? And he says, Call Bathsheba to come to me. Bathsheba comes into the king's presence, and the king swears to her and says, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity. Exact same sentence as I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me. very beginning of his ministry and the very end of his ministry are enveloped by this glorious sentence, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity. This is David's testimony. This is what comprises all of the psalms that David has written. This is what comprises all of David's ministry and, and kingship as a king over Judah and Israel, The Lord is alive, and He has redeemed my soul out of every adversity. Therefore, I am not going to act in such a way that violates, dishonors, or compromises His Word. I am going to, in fact, enact justice. They can say what they want about Christians not being clear-minded or level-headed, but they're certainly going to like it when we become judges. David's life has been redeemed at every turn because David is a man of fear before God and therefore honesty and justice before the, the sins and concerns of human beings. Redeem Israel, O God, David cries out in Psalm 25, out of all her troubles. David also says in Psalm 18, the Lord lives same phrase. The Lord lives. Yahweh lives. He's alive. He's ever living and and redeeming and moving. Nothing can sway or stop His hand. Blessed be my rock, therefore, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalt me above those who have risen against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. David doesn't become a man of violence here. He calls for the death appropriately as the sentence of judgment against murder for these two Benjamites. What a severe act he does. Establishing his kingdom, establishing him as a man of God's word and of the law, establishing him as a man of integrity, honoring Ishbosheth, even Saul, and proving to everyone in all of Israel including 12-year-old lame Mephibosheth. You're safe here. The law will be carried out. Since my God redeemed me, I have the courage and boldness to live a life that receives that mercy of redemption and carries it out in justice in His name. So are you redeemed? Are you redeemed? Like this. Redeemed means... Bought back. Redeemed means you're no longer enslaved to the enemy or to your own flesh. It means you've been ransomed. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Oh, the glory of being redeemed. Romans 8, 3 through 4. For God has not done, has done rather, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son. In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh your sin and my sin, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Redeemed is that wonderful, joyful reality that the Spirit has bought me and paid for me and taken away my sin and taken me from the kingdom of sin and darkness so that I no longer follow them into eternal destruction. If you are not redeemed, let this be the day that you are redeemed. Let this be the day you cry out and say, Lord, dwell in my heart and awaken my soul. Take away my sin and cause me to live redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You say, what sin? The minute we are angry with a man, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 21-23, we've committed murder. I'm Rechab and Bana. And if I've committed one sin, according to James, then I'm guilty of all of them. Oh, the mercy that I feel at work in my life right now. I look at this passage and I see mercy. I see mercy shown to the memory of Ishbosheth and David. I I see Mephibosheth looking on and seeing how his uncle and grandfather are being treated. I I see all of Israel safe and and breathing easy and at peace because they they see a, a kind and merciful king who actually honors the son of his enemy by bringing his murderers to justice and burying his head in an honorable grave in Hebron. I see mercy laced all the way through this passage and maybe not least but most uh, powerfully and clearly in David proclaiming as the Lord lives I've been redeemed out of all my adversity that's my testimony may that be your testimony I've had difficult things in my life that's one of the reasons why it's so very sweet and important to me to stay connected with a dear friend back in Michigan he's walked through some of them with me and he's walked through them faithfully as a as a as a David to my Jonathan and it's an opportunity, isn't it? It's almost an opportunity every time it comes to mind. Maybe even my preaching on this has brought this to mind for you, and it's a new opportunity for you to say, yes, there are people who've been like Saul to me, or, or there are situations or there are s- sentences that were said that were very much like Saul to me. Do, do I find the Ishbosheths and I just beat them and cut their head off and say, ha, there, I'm avenged? Or do I say like David, no, I recoil at revenge? The Lord lives, and He's enough for me. His redemption has brought me up out of all adversity, and He will do so again for me. What what if you live your life today and tomorrow confident that as the Lord lives, He is going to redeem you out of every adversity? That's His promise to you if you're in Christ. He will redeem you out of every adversity. That means not one adversity that you're going through right now or in the future is in your life because God's angry at you. He's not. All His wrath against your sin has been laid upon His Son. He has no more wrath for you today or forever. He will redeem you out of all your adversity as your testimony echoes that of King David. The only question remains is, what do you do with the mercy that has been shown you? What do you do with it? Do you say, yes, yes, I have received so many mercies, (laughs) my family, my precious wife, my children, my parents, my my friends at school, my job, my my body, my mind, my salvation, the money and opportunities that I have? These and so many more things are mercies. God must be approving of the path I have walked. I'm just going to keep doing the same thing. In fact, I'm going to do it even stronger. Or, do you not know, have you not heard, that it is the patience and the kindness of the Lord meant to lead us to repentance? Some doubt whether Henry Taney, on September 18th of 1918, permitted Adolf Hitler to stumble his way back to the German lines. But in conversations, both men have made plain and recorded, they both testify that that's exactly what happened. In World War II, the British Prime Minister Chamberlain, trying to build bridges with Hitler, traveled to Germany and met with Adolf Hitler. Chamberlain says when the alleged event between Henry Taney and Hitler way back in 1918 came up in conversation, these are the words that Adolf Hitler spoke. That man came so near to killing me that I thought I should never see Germany again. Providence, capital P, saved me from such devilishly accurate fire as those English boys were aiming at us. And if you know anything about World War II, you know what he did with that confidence. Providence, capital P. What do you do with the mercy shown to you? Do you take it as an approval from God for the path that your life goes and you'll continue to do so with great vim and vigor? Or do you say, might it be that the mercy of God is calling me to look into the face of the ever-living one and say, Lord, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the paths of life everlasting? Let's pray. I confess, Lord, how many times I have perceived with knee-jerk interpretive reaction that your mercies are your approval of my life. I confess my need to hear the witness of David's life and of Paul and of all the Scriptures that your mercies are actually meant for me to look into your face and say, show me where I must flee sin, not continue in it. Lord, I thank you for the work your Spirit is doing, hovering sweet upon the souls in this room right now and those watching by live stream. Thank you for drawing to yourself in redemptive salvation glory those who are not yet yours but now are. Thank you for moving upon hearts and saying, Lord, give me self-reflection and awareness. Give me even keener awareness of You and Your glory to look into Your face and see how Your mercy is intended to purify me from one degree of glory to another. I thank You for 2 Samuel 4. I thank You for David. I thank You for the severe, merciful justice He brought to bear under the blessing of Your law and Your command. And I thank you for the sweet conviction that comes as I watch these two murderers stand before a holy God in the person of his king. Lord, we face a world where these very questions are being bandied about. Would you give to those who are in places of authority a recoiling against revenge and not returning to it and a willingness under careful legal authority to carry out severe justice and mercy where it's needed. We don't have enough facts and we don't have enough details and we don't know enough of the events to speak with bravado or exaggeration or arrogance, so guard me from it. But, O Lord, I pray that You would have mercy on a very mercy-starved world. Begin with me, begin with us, Begin with believers around the world, believers in Israel, believers in Palestine, believers in Ukraine, believers in Russia, believers on every continent and in every tribe and in every tongue and among every people and language. Show mercy, I pray, through them. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to dwell with you now in these quiet moments, and to respond to Your Word with a song worthy of Your name and honor. Be glorified in it as we sing it to You. In Jesus' name, amen.